Okay, I want to get into the sermon then. Uh, perhaps we should drop this thing we've been going on. We bypassed it on trumpets, but about fear, because I'm sure by now, uh, after spending several weeks on it, you have all conquered all your fears, uh, because, you know, after you spend four, five, six weeks on something, that ought to be enough, and the uh, job should be done, should it not. Uh, I really rather doubt it. Uh, fear is something that human beings tend to live with continually. Today I want to address it uh, first and primarily from the standpoint of David. Uh, we did rehearse the story of him approaching Goliath in the Philistine army and how all Israel was afraid, trembling in their boots, and yet David said, Who is this Philistine to stand before the armies?" of Almighty God. He was just a young fellow, but he had, even at that tender age, a healthy respect and awe for God, and he had learned to trust God for his protection, for his help. He had been out probably herding sheep as a boy, not as a man. But as a boy, by himself. It reminds me of a story I, I heard from a rancher up in Idaho many years ago, how he grew up in the deserts of eastern Oregon. And at age nine, he trailed a herd of cattle 150 miles across the desert by himself. Age nine. We're afraid to let our children out the door, almost. In this day and age, without a helmet, uh, you know, I, I agree, let's be careful, protect the children, but uh, if they learn responsibility and how to take care of themselves early in life, it will do them well later on. So anyway, David got an early start at it as a shepherd and had to protect the flocks from bears and lions and, and had to be out there all alone in the dark. Uh, you know, so he learned under those circumstances to trust in God. So that came full force to everyone's attention at the time when all Israel was afraid. Now David later became king, and by the mere situation, by the position he held, there were many frightening things that would occur, even in normal times. There were many nations who hated Israel and did every, took every opportunity to try to destroy Israel. Went to war against them, and, they, and Israel went to war against others. There were all kinds of problems in ruling that kingdom that could have put fear, timidity, into the man, and yet you can't lead, you can't rule, and take people where they need to go if you yourself are living in fear. And one of the things that made David such an outstanding leader in Israel was his ability to deal with fear. And he had much more to fear than you and I ever have had. I won't say ever will have, but ever have had. And then on top of the position creating those circumstances, he did a lot of things himself which brought fear upon him. They were self-created by some of the sins he committed, by some of the wars he perpetrated, and causing enemies to be against him. His success in war turned people against him even more and could have created more fear for him. Now, I will not say or begin to that David did not have fear. He was a very emotional person, and fear, by and large, is an emotion. It's an emotional reaction to circumstances. And it comes down to emotional control. When we face trouble, 
we have to learn to control our emotions. That is why it is so important for you as parents to help your children as they grow up to learn to control their emotions. And they will not naturally do it. They will naturally whine, cry, complain, scream, kick, or anything else you see in the supermarket to get their way and to do as they please. So you have emotional outbursts from them. And some people never learn to control their emotions. Now we can do our children a great favor by helping them learn that control while they're young and as they grow older continue teaching that so that by the time they're able to go out and face the world they will have learned at least some emotional control. Because if you live by emotion, and we all are very emotional, but if you let that rule you, you will spend your life in fear. Because so many circumstances create it. Our health and our wealth are two of the primary areas that we keep bringing up. We fear economic trouble and we fear ill health and death. How do we handle those? How do we deal with it? Let's go into the Psalms today because David had many situations that he feared. How to learn to control that fear then is the key. I mean, we can yell and scream at ourselves about having fear, but that does no good if we just say you should not have fear. That does not help you deal with it. As I said last week, fear can become an idol. It can break the first commandment and therefore all nine. Because if we put our fear of various circumstances ahead of our trust in God, it is a lack of faith in God which breaks the first commandment. So you should ought to not have fear is part of the equation, yes. But the bigger problem for us is how do we deal with it when it arises because it can and will. And it will take us over if we're not careful. So let's go to Psalm 22. Here we find, actually it's about Christ, but David wrote it. And he wrote it about himself, but God inspired it to be written in such a way that it was a direct type and a a prophecy of Christ himself. But God had allowed David to get into situations where great danger was around him, great uh, disruption, great desperation, uh, a bad day, if you will. So the cry here is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you feel forsaken, certain fear comes into play. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring and crying? I cry, but you hear not, in the night season, and I'm not silent. Now, we understand Christ's circumstance. God allowed him to go through what he did on purpose, that he might be tried and he might be tested. And what he went through before and on that stake were very frightful, fearful circumstances, including fear of injury and pain, including fear of death, including every negative emotion, I suppose, and the whole gamut of emotions that we have. So he was facing some very troublesome times, and he felt the shame and the reproach of men who were taunting him and all of that, and he talks about it on down through here, and he he just said in verse 14, I am poured out like water, my bones are out of joint, 
My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. And a lot of times you feel fear right down in your stomach and lower belly. That's where it grabs you. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a dry piece of pottery. My tongue cleaves to my jaws and so on. Then he talks about what they had done to him. Then he said in verse 20, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, or my only one, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you've heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise you? Now those were some words that David used, remember, in Psalm 51, where he prayed his prayer of repentance after the whole Uriah Bathsheba thing and all. And he promised that if God would forgive him, he would sing God's praises in the great congregation. So he's saying the same thing here because it shows his attitude way before that even happened. That he already knew his approach and how it should be to God. Let's see. Verse 23. You that fear the eternal, praise him. So he's using his fears, and ultimately a prophecy of Christ's fears, as an example to show us what to do. When you have fears, where do you go for help? Where do you go for strength and encouragement, deliverance? You that fear the eternal, verse 23, praise him. All you, the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you, the seed of Israel. So he's giving us advice here. When trouble comes on him, on Christ, on us, turn to God. Have fear and trust and awe in him. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. So when we are in trouble and we cry out to God, he will hear us. He's wired that way. He's our father. We're his children. He cares deeply about us and loves us. Now we know many scriptures that show that many are the afflictions of the righteous and through much tribulation and trouble enter the kingdom and so on. So we know that this way of life is fraught with trouble and fear. Now, it's that way for everybody else, too. We aren't the only ones who face circumstances that bring fear into our lives. The whole planet suffers that. We have a tremendous advantage, and that is that we have the examples in this book to show us how to deal with it. The rest of the world does not have a clue, so they take a lot of pills and they lay on couches and talk to shrinks about it. Or whatever. Now that can give you a dulling of the mind and temporary relief, perhaps, but it does not solve the overall problems. Well, we need to learn where to turn to get a true solution. Now, why is there so much about this in the Bible? This is one of the biggest, hardest hurdles we will ever face. And it is not going to get better. It is going to get worse in the months and years ahead until we have God's absolute deliverance. My praise shall be of you in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. He said, I'll go tell this story to those who fear you, to your people, so that they might learn from it. All right, let's go on to chapter 23. We sang this in one of the opening songs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So this opens with showing our looking to God for His shepherding, for His help. 
A sheep is lost without a shepherd and needs someone to protect, to guide, to lead, to help. We've been hearing this in a series of sermonettes, but it fits what I want to say as well. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He is the one that leads me beside the still waters. In other words, if you want peace, safety, relief, he's the one to go to, not another source. He restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it says, yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Eternal forever. That is probably the most quoted psalm there is, and it is one of the deepest most important psalms there is. Because it shows a man looking to God in his life, number one, that that leader can take him where he needs to go. And even though trouble comes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I look to God. I know He loves me. I know He cares about me. I know He wants to see me in His kingdom. He wants to see me be righteous and holy and qualified as a bride of His Son. Now, if you are qualified or uh, a candidate to be the bride of Christ, the Father and the groom-to-be are very, very concerned with you as an individual because we are individually selected by the Father and then trained to be the wife. He numbers the hairs on your head. And you don't even do that for yourself. Now, we're all concerned about ourselves, are we not? And we trouble ourselves to take care of ourselves the best we can, to do the best possible for ourselves, and to get help wherever we think we need it for ourselves. So we are, at our best, extremely self-centered. We have to learn to be centered on others, but it is natural to take care of self first. That's why we have wars and fights and arguments for the most part. But God cares more about you than you care about yourself, by far. He even numbers the hair on your head. Have you ever been to the doctor and they numbered the hairs on your head? Do they care that much? Let's see, we'll take you in, we'll give you an x-ray and count your hair. Never heard of it. They're concerned more about your health care package than they are about you. I've checked people into hospitals, and I don't care how bad you're hurting or how close to dying you're about that you are. First thing they want to do is shunt you over here in the corner while they ask you questions and check to see how you're going to get this thing paid. Now, some of them have a little bit of heart and feeling about that, but... But the administration overall wants that done before anything else. Now, maybe if you're absolutely bleeding plumb to death, they might stick some cotton up your throat or something before uh, they do that. But I'm just speaking generally here. I know that there are very caring people in the health industry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just here to make a diatribe against them. What I'm saying is, your Father in Heaven cares more about you than the most caring of health care people. And this Psalm 23 encapsulates it pretty well about how we need to be and where we need to look. <coughs> Who else is going to deliver us? 
Let's go to chapter 25. Verse 14. The secret of the eternal is with them that fear Him. God has secrets. God has mysterious things. God has a plan. And even we who understand look through a glass darkly, as Paul put it. But the rest of the world is completely blind. They have no idea of the secrets of God. Now to you who have feared Him enough, that you were willing to give up jobs to keep the Sabbath, give up jobs to keep the holy days, give up Christmas and Easter in spite of your relatives and friends, you who have feared God's Word and Him enough to change your lives, He has shown you His secrets. What an incredible thing. What a transformation. He shares his secrets with you. Now, we as human beings love to hear secrets, don't we? We're always curious. We want to know what's going on. Oh, so-and-so did that. What did they say? What happened? Well, I was told not to tell. It's a secret. Oh, nuts. Wanted to hear it. God is one who will share his secrets with very few people. That puts you in a very select group. And he does it with the people that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. So the understanding of his truths come to those who will fear him. My eyes are ever toward the eternal, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Have you seen a bird or an animal react when you throw a net over them? They go into absolute panic mode, flapping and thrashing and jumping, trying to get loose. And they are scared. We had a pet rabbit, a little white rabbit that one of my daughters had up in Alaska. And... Uh, We'd let it in the house some, but it got where it was doing things on the carpet. We'll not describe them, but enough such that decided it needed to be outside most of the time, okay? So we put a little cage outside the back door, and I put a tin roof on it. And the rabbit seemed to do fine out there, but one day we got a hailstorm. And that hail rattling on the tin roof gave the rabbit a heart attack. Died right there. Bang. Scared to death. Literally. Felt trapped. Couldn't escape. No player, nowhere to go. No answer to his problem. How do I get out of this cage and out of that noise? I think I'll just have a heart attack and die now. You ever feel that way? <laughs> he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn you to me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. So he says God will pluck your feet out of the net. He reminds himself that there is a God who can save. And then he says, now save me. <laughs> I'm in trouble here. Turn to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. I'm having all kinds of problems here. So many fears, so many troubles, so much distress. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. So turn to God, look to God, ask God, pray for forgiveness for any sins we may have forget, committed and the fears that they have brought upon us. Sometimes just the fear of conscience, the fear of vengeance or wrath from God because of our sins. There's so many things that bring fear down upon us. So one of the things you do when you are afraid is pray for deliverance and for forgiveness. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. David had many people who would have just loved dearly to kill him, and tried at times. 
He didn't just receive death uh, warnings or death threats. He received death attempts. There is a difference. One is in the mind, <laughs> the other is in the body. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. See, there is putting God first. That's keeping of the first commandment. I will put you ahead of my fears. I will trust you to take care of me. Will Christ find faith when he returns to this earth? Will he find people who trust him to deliver them from their troubles? Shockingly, that's one of the biggest lacks there is going to be. How can that be, brethren? Here is the God who created the heavens and the earth. You go out and see the panoply of stars at night, the Milky Way, all the incredible things that God has created. You look at this earth around us and the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and, and the mountains and, and the water and everything and the human body and the animals and so many things that God has made that are just awesome because He's awesome. And you look at all that and you think, wow, what a God to make those things. Oh, i got a pain. Oh, dear Lord, I better go to the doctor. Or whatever you say. Times are tough. I may lose my job if I obey God. All kinds of fears come to our minds. And faith is hard to come by. How do we handle it? What do we do? He tells us here. You see, it, it doesn't do any good to whine a prayer of distrust to God, hoping that He will hear you in spite of the fact that inside you are a coward who is shrinking back. Remember James 5.14, where it says, If we are sick to get anointed, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And most of that needs to be your faith. You need to trust God for your healing. Now the faith of the ministry can be of help, and it can perhaps strengthen your faith, because sometimes looking to Christ, saying, if I just touch His garment, gave them strength, and belief and trust, he would turn and say, your faith has made you whole. He didn't say, my faith has made you whole, dearie. He didn't approach it that way. Your faith. And remember that when he went back to Nazareth, he could do no miracles there save heal a few sick folk. Did his faith waver because he went to Nazareth? Not at all. Their faith in him was weak because they'd known him as a child. Oh, I know who he is, so how could he do anything? It is our faith, our trust, that needs to be undergirded, strengthened. Now, I'm not here today to make us feel bad or to correct us or um, chasten us for lack of faith. You can't legislate faith and you can't just say you should have faith and it's created overnight. It is something that comes in time. It is something that is built day by day as we put our little troubles on God and trust Him to take care of them. And you get prayers answered, don't you? I hear people say all the time, boy, that was an answer to prayer. So we do get help. And we've had a lot of people around here who've been relieved from difficulties and we've seen some pretty dramatic healings, actually. 
But to always maintain and have the level of faith we need is a very difficult thing to do. Because we get to looking around us and that it's very difficult to trust God in heaven. We look at conditions and circumstances and those scare us. Now I know how even the apostles, disciples to be apostles, felt. I've been in places like that where the boat was about to sink. And they were looking at the wind and the waves and were scared to death, almost. Not like the rabbit, but using a figure of speech. And Christ was taking a nap. That's how much he trusted his heavenly Father. There is our example. The circumstances were dire. It was a fearful situation. He was taking a nap. The disciples were white-knuckled. Oh, save us! What's wrong with you? Why aren't you up here scared like we are? Well, you, you have little faith. If circumstances cause us to lose our cool, our trust in God, then we need to work on it. That's all. None of us have perfect faith like Christ had. None of us. One set of circumstances we might be able to handle. The next set of circumstances might just blow us away. And we can vary from day to day based on our prayer that day, based on whether we read the Bible, based on whether we are thinking of the things of God, or whether we're just looking at circumstances. And that goes up and fluctuates day by day. All I'm saying here is let's look at what the Bible says and let's start trying to learn this lesson and move in the right direction. It does no good to berate you for maybe the way you were yesterday or last month. But let's handle the next case better than we did the last one. That's all. Let's work forward instead of backward or just staying where we are. And we have these examples all the way through to show us that. Let's see, where am I? I'm in chapter 25. Let's go on to 27. I'm going to hit... The whole book of Psalms is full of all this. It's full of a lot. There's 150 chapters. Maybe I should start a series of sermons on the book of Psalms. If we cover one chapter a week, i got three years. I don't think we'll go there. Anyway, Psalm 27, verse 1. I'm picking out just some highlights. The Eternal is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Eternal is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's a very beautiful song that was written with these words that we used to sing in the chorale. And uh, one of my favorites, in fact. God is the one I look to. Who shall I fear? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Eternal, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Eternal all the days of my life, behold the beauty of the Eternal, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me, He shall set me upon a rock. I trust God, He'll take care of me. He told us to pray in Matthew 24 that when real trouble comes, we be accounted worthy to escape it. And there are many references in Psalms to 
going to Zion as the place of refuge, the rock, as it mentions the rock here. He's going to take his people and protect them. Now, he's going to let us go through some trials, troubles, and tribulations in the meantime, which help build faith and trust in us as we are delivered from little troubles. So that if we're faithful in little, we'll be faithful in much, and then he will account us worthy to escape. So he's interested in overcoming and progress. He's not interested necessarily in where you are right now or what your reactions have been or what mistakes you have made in this area. He's only concerned that we trust him more today and tomorrow than we did yesterday. It's like a child learning to walk. He's very fearful, isn't he? At first, he won't turn loose a daddy or mommy. And if you work with him a little bit, he'll turn one hand loose. And the next day, maybe, he'll turn them both loose, but he's still standing there rocking and he's afraid to try to take a step. So, mommy's holding the baby and daddy's saying, come on, come on, come on. And she kind of turns him loose. And he's not sure what to do here, and then he finally takes that step, falls on his diaper. And then it's harder the next time, and little by little, you, you don't get mad at him, do you? You don't spank him, you dirty little rat, why can't you walk yet? That's well, eh, the way you go about it. Let's run a race. Well, I, can I walk first? No, we don't treat our children that way. But he, he's fearful. He doesn't trust. And slowly you get him to trust. And finally he can be bouncing on the top bunk and you say, Jump, Daddy will catch you. And he will. He'll actually do it. And you try to catch him. Maybe successfully. But we work with our children. And that's the way God is with us. He wants us to learn to walk, to stand, and to run spiritually. And not to be afraid. But it's a process. So he's not angry with us in these terms. When we're still young, we're still weak, we're still fearful. He just wants us to overcome. He wants us to grow. He wants us to get stronger and more trusting. And it takes time and energy to do that. Now, there are times when we disobey greatly, he will chasten every son whom he loves. So, there is always that element there. But his attitude isn't to get us, like we might have been taught in the Hard Rock Baptist Church. His object is to cause us to grow up and trust him in full faith and be bold as lions. And not to shrink back to move forward, but to move forward in confidence and strength. That's the goal and the purpose. And that's what David is dealing with here. It didn't come easy. It came through some hard troubles and trials, and God delivered him, and wow! And he gave him a little more strength and help for the next round. Because the rounds never stopped coming. Till the day of his death. Some of his sons were still trying to kill him. Most of you have not faced that one yet. All right, let's go on to chapter 33. Oh, here, what do I want? About down around verse 8. Um. Let all the earth fear the eternal. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Now, God let all those horrible troubles come on Job, didn't he? We didn't go read all that. Incredible things that came down on Job when God... Sicked Satan on him. Told him, do anything you want, just don't kill him. Satan is a master torturer. I mean, he, he jumped on that one in glee. All right, I won't kill him, but boy, oh boy, will I put it to him. And he did. 
Now, Job went through all kinds of fearful emotions. And he had to learn to look to God completely and totally and to recognize how great God was. And then his fears were taken away and his blessings restored. And God blessed him thereafter. But he had to deal with this trust in something that was a lot bigger than he was. Up to that time, yeah, God's my friend and I love God and I obey God, but I'm almost good as he is. I'm next thing to him. No, he wasn't. He was a long way away. Far short. But the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He, the reason I brought Job up there in part was the God spoke and Satan could not, would not go past what God told him he could do. Do not kill him. Did Satan want to kill him? You bet he did. But God spoke. He commanded. And it happened that way. The eternal brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. Some of us have been all worried and upset and uptight and frustrated and fearful with this county thing that we've been fighting for several years now. I'm beginning to see some lessons in that, I think. I'm beginning to see that God wanted us to work with them uh, instead of in opposition. We did a lot of things in good faith when we came out here. But then they changed the rules and started supervising and they wanted to put us through a lot of things. Well, we resisted. We didn't like it. And I fought them uh, as much as I could in some ways, hoping they'd go away. But, you know, I've been reflecting on that a bit. You know, God could have delivered us just like that when we went to court over that. He didn't. We still had a fight ahead. And we still had to wind up complying with them. But I've thought about that the last few weeks, just kind of toying with it in my mind. And I reminded myself of examples in the Bible where Joseph had to work with Pharaoh. He had to come in compliance with a lot of rules and regulations he hadn't had to live with in his father's house. Totally different culture, totally different circumstances, totally different rules, everything upside down. Yet he learned to deal with that, and he learned to deal with it through trust in God to the point. Don't you think that young fellow was afraid when he went down into Egypt? His brother sold him to those guys and... My brothers didn't kill me. He was scared sitting there with a lump in his throat. And then he was afraid of the people that took him. And then when he got there, he was afraid of the Egyptians. But he handled it. He was put in fearful circumstances, but he knew God well enough that he handled it. And he worked with Pharaoh. He worked with Pharaoh to the point that they exalted him above all Egyptians and everybody but Pharaoh himself. He had to work with that system, and he had to excel in it, didn't he? What about Daniel? Same deal. Little captive child brought there with Abraham, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through some pretty fearful times. Scared to death. You're going to throw me to the lions? You're going to throw me in that furnace? Whew. They trusted God and he took care of them. But the point is, they're not just the fear and the circumstance, but he had to learn and they had to learn how to work with Nebuchadnezzar, who was a really weird, strange character uh, and had great power. They had to learn to work with him and not in opposition to him. 
And then Daniel wound up ruling all, all uh, the, the whole kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. John the Baptist had to work with Herod. He had to deal with him. Herod actually liked John the Baptist. They got along well, according to the actual Bible account. And Herod was not happy when Herodias said, I want his head on a charger, but he'd made the stupid promise. So he hacked his friend's head off. Didn't want to. Did it anyway. But John the Baptist had worked with Herod. And had managed somehow not to be one in opposition, but one who could work with the man. Now he told him the way things were when the time came about his situation. But Herod himself did not take as much exception to it as his wife did. Maybe Herod knew his wife too. He liked John better, I don't know. But the Bible seems to indicate those things. Now maybe God has put us in some circumstances where we have to learn to work with the government around us. To keep them as happy as possible and not be in opposition against them. Because I think circumstances are going to come in the future, perhaps the near future, where we will be required to work with counties, perhaps states, and even the federal government. And if that be the case, we need to be in the kind of attitude where we know how and will adapt to working with instead of against and drawing their ire. Now, does God put us through things that prepare us for what might be down the road? I think so. Now, why have we gone through this unless it was preparation for something else? God doesn't do these things just for no reason. Now, I've had it preached to me that the government is evil and bad and wrong all my life and that it's going to fall and going to be taken into captivity and uh, the government is against us. Well, all that stuff's basically true. But I may still need to work with some of those people for a time to accomplish some of God's purposes. I don't know just how it'll come down, but I suspect, based on the pattern in the Bible, we're going to see some of that. Better prepared now and learn our lesson now than later. So, maybe I didn't approach the county quite right to begin with. I resisted too much. Yes, they treated us unfairly. Yes, they went about it wrong. Yes, they did a lot of things they shouldn't have done. Yes, they lied. They perjured themselves. They persecuted us religiously and ridiculed us as a cult. And a lot of things they did wrong. But, I'm supposed to love my enemies and do good to them that persecute me and despitefully use me. See, I've almost got it memorized. Instead of breathing fire about them, maybe I need to change my attitude. And once they say, yes, you are fully in compliance, maybe I should send certain people, some flowers. Marla, you're listening. Remind me of that. I might get in a bad attitude and forget it. We have a certain neighbor who's been complaining about us lately and causing more trouble for us. And I thought about popping a knot on his head. And then I thought, I wonder what I could do that would be actually good to him that is not a backhanded compliment. We have to think and comply with what God says. Doesn't come easy, does it? But let's not 
fail to see the lessons God might be trying to teach us. You know, you may have to keep going through something over and over until you finally learn the lesson. And I came from the hardhead race myself. I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of the families I was born into. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not so hot. But let's think about these things, even things we as a group here have gone through and what we all might need to learn to face things that are coming down in the future. Uh, 33.8, let's go down to 18. Behold, the eye of the eternal is upon them that fear him. Now that means it's on them for good. If we truly learn to fear God, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. There are billions of people who are about to die in famine on this earth. You are one of the few who has opportunity to be delivered from that. Isn't that amazing and beautiful and wonderful? If we will fear Him and trust Him with our health, our wealth, our life, He will protect us. Our soul waits for the eternal. He is our help and our shield. Not someone else. God. You know, I'm not. If you come to me and say, I'm really having a problem. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. Help me. I'm not your help and shield. How can I help you? I can point you toward your help and shield. That's how I can help you, is turn you to God. Now that may help you, uh, and I hope that I can in those circumstances. But he's the one that really delivers. He's the one who helps. He is your help and shield. And sometimes we need to be iron sharpening iron and help each other when we have our weaknesses and our failings and our faults and we're having difficulty dealing with something. We need to share He says we should confess our faults one to another. And it doesn't mean we ought to every day get together over here in the morning and confess our faults and sins. What it means is when we're having trouble, we need to lean upon each other, ask for help and encouragement and prayer, and be willing to discuss these things among ourselves so that we can encourage each other to trust God. Because on our own, sometimes it's difficult, and having other human beings encourage us can be a big help. So we need to be willing to share those things. Sometimes we're (coughs) too proud or too too ashamed or, or whatever to let each other know the troubles we're going through. And sometimes, instead of going to those who might help strengthen us, we go to somebody that has the same problem and the same weakness, because then we can commiserate and feel sorry for each other together. And that doesn't help us. You know, if you have somebody that's a drunk, who does he go to for help? A drinking buddy. (laughs) Now, how does that help? I need your help. All right, let's sit down and have ourselves a drink or two or five, and we'll discuss your problem. That's really going to help the drunk, isn't it? That's what we tend to do. Birds of a feather flock together. No, find somebody who doesn't have that particular problem, if you can, and talk to them. Or maybe somebody who had the problem, who overcame it, and talk to them. Because if they've been there, done that, and got past that, they might be able to help you with that. But going to somebody who still has that problem isn't probably going to help you a whole lot. They haven't conquered it, so what do they know? Now, that isn't always the case. Sometimes we can go to somebody with a similar problem and try to encourage one another. But let's encourage and help rather than dragging each other down. If the relationship drags you down, 
then there's a problem. Um, where am I? Chapter 34, verse 4 maybe. I sought the Eternal and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. There's your help. There's the one to go to. They looked to Him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Eternal heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now listen to this. The angel of the Eternal encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. He sends his angels and has them camp out right around you if you fear him. If you trust God. When you have trouble, He sends angels to camp around you. We've used in Protestantism the term term guardian angels. And maybe we do have angels that guard us. Remember the story when Israel was afraid and they couldn't see the multitude of angels around them. They were there. So if we fear God and trust Him, we get help. Does that help always come immediately? No, it does not. Remember Daniel, the time that he sought God, and uh, the archangel said, I heard you the first day and I came to help you, but the prince of power of Persia withstood me. So one archangel, and then Satan tried to block him personally, And they had a standoff for 21 days. Here's poor old Daniel down there not eating and drinking. His health didn't come. Didn't come, didn't come. Fasted 21 days. And when, was it Gabriel or Michael, got there, he said, I'd have been here sooner, but the devil got in my way. And the other archangel had to come help me because they were of equal strength and couldn't get past each other. Well, it took 21 days before help came, and Daniel got his deliverance. Could God the Father have sent the other archangel immediately? Yeah, he could have. Did he? No. Did Daniel learn something there? Yes, he did. Help was on its way. God knew the whole circumstance, knew exactly what was going on, saw it all, and sat back and waited three weeks. But he delivered. And Daniel's faith was greatly enhanced by that whole circumstance. So God delivers, but he delivers in his time and in his way. And we need to always keep that in mind because we want help and we want it now. We want the answer before the trouble even really gets there. We want advanced warning and deliverance before we ever have to go through it as human beings. That's not the way God works. This whole Bible is full of troubles that came on people. And there is a time when God simply holds back and does not deliver. Did He answer Abraham's, Isaac's, Jacob's, Sarah's, Rebekah's prayers? Yes, he did. Did he answer Daniel's, Shadrach's, Meshach, and Abednego's, Abednego's prayers? Yes, he did. Gideon's, Rahab's, whoever. He answered all their prayers many, many times. And then there came a time when they prayed and died. Did he answer Peter, James, John's, Andrew's, Philip's prayers, Stephen's? Yes. And there came a time then when God said, that's enough, they died. Horribly in some cases. Stephen gave a powerful sermon and was immediately thereafter stoned to death. They will be in the kingdom of God. They were delivered. Now, they were delivered many times in their physical lives. But there came a time for God's purposes that it was time for them to die. Do we have enough trust, faith, and belief in God 
that we are willing to put ourselves in his hands and say, I don't know when you want me to cease living physically on this earth. That is up to you. I would like to live longer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And simply leave it in his hands. Now that is a goal that we need to all be working toward. It is not an easy goal to achieve because we get afraid. And we trust him for a while and, well, maybe he doesn't mean to heal me, so I'll go to something different. He might take my children away. He might cause my wife or my husband to divorce me. I might have to move out in the desert somewhere. Troubles could come. We have all kinds of things we worry about. Let's move on. I thought I could get through what I had down for the Psalms today. 46, verse 2. I'll start in the first verse. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Right on the job like the clear and present danger of the movie and the book. God is there as a very present help. He's there. Therefore, will not we fear? It doesn't make any difference what comes up because we know God is there. He counts our hair. He is there. Angels are encamped around us. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Now, that's quite a bit of upset, upside down and turmoil, isn't it? The mountains be moved, the earth cast into the sea, and we will not fear? That requires faith. When the rocks start tumbling in the future, the book of Revelation and the horrible things that are coming on mankind, it says that men will be so afraid, they will pray the rocks fall on them, they'll want to die so badly. That is real fear. And God is describing the same conditions here. And says those that trust Him will not fear. Now, is it important we talk about this? Because we need to come to this position where if we're in 30-foot seas and a rickety boat, we could lay down and take a nap. We are to come to think as Christ thought. To bring every thought into the subjection of Christ. That is the goal and the purpose. I doubt we're there yet, but we need to be working toward that. So don't sit around and get discouraged and depressed that you're not there yet. It is a growth curve. It is a learning process. If you find you're not quite here yet, just work on it. Every time trouble or difficulty or something fearful comes up, go to work on it. Sometimes you'll do better, sometimes you'll do worse. But overall, head the right direction. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early." Somewhere early in the process of all these things that are about to hit, and this is a prophetic book, God is going to reach in and protect His faithful people who have learned to fear Him instead of governments and mountains that might be removed or seas that tremble and shake. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, He uttered His voice, and the earth melted. 
Mankind can wage all the wars he wants to in the next months and years to come. But when God speaks, exactly what he wants done will happen. Man can put forth his best power. Nothing will happen. But God does not pass on. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease, cease to the end of the earth. Mankind has always been fearful of war ever since Cain and Abel. First war was right there. Well, the first war was in heaven, but the first human war. And people have been afraid of war ever since. A war has killed probably billions of peoples over the last 6,000 years. And it's fearful when soldiers come in and hack you to pieces and rape your women and kill your children. That is fearful. And it happens over and over and over. And it's happening right now in various parts of the earth. It's been going on in Central Africa for decades where they butcher and maim and rape and pillage. We're sitting here in peace and safety. They're not over there. They're fearful every day. I've been in South Africa and heard of murders, cold-blooded killings, and we've had church members who have been killed and people who have been stabbed. It's going on right now. And not just there, but in other parts around the world. It will soon come here. Will we fear? Or have we learned to trust God? This is very, very important. You need to be prepared when this all comes down. Now, I can give all kinds of sermons. I can go to Revelation and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and other places, and I can scare the living tar out of you. Does that do you any good? Only in a very limited fashion. But if we take the time to go through and see what the men and the people of God did and how they withstood how they were able to be strong, then there's something that could truly help us. So let's pay attention to these, and we're getting our focus on it here, but I can only barely scratch the surface of all the examples in the Bible that have to do with this, because that's what really the whole Bible is about, is how to trust God instead of fearing man. So that's enough for today. Let's just quit there.